0: Hi, I'm Zach. I've been working in beer for well over a decade, so it's not uncommon for me to find myself enjoying a pint and great conversation with some of the most interesting folks in the brewing industry. Since many of the world's most entertaining discussions happen over a beer, I thought it might be fun to share a few of mine with you. This is Zach Talks Beer. Hello and welcome to Zach Talks Beer. This is an informal podcast in which I welcome friends and peers from the brewing industry on for an unfiltered, honest, and oftentimes fun conversation about working in beer, life outside of beer, and everything in between. My name is Zach Nichols, and I'm a brewer and a small brewery owner, originally from Wisconsin, but now I am based outside of Boulder, Colorado. And I've been in the your world professionally since about 2009. And I have met and spent valuable time with a lot of great people in that stretch. And my guest today is certainly one of them. Uh, so today I'm happy to welcome on to the show, Nick of Hanabi Lager in California. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Zach. Totally. Thanks for jumping on with me. I appreciate it. Anytime. Yeah. How are, how are things in Napa? You are in Napa at the moment, correct? Yeah, no
1: things are good out here. It's um, you know we had a pretty good start to the rainfall for this season, for um, you know for the grapes. And um, back in December we got about 20 inches, which is awesome for us. That's a pretty solid chunk of the annual dose. We're usually about three feet or so of rain here, and uh, so almost two thirds right away. But but then once we got into the new year, it's been a little dry. So we're um we're still doing the rain dance for sure we're hoping for another little bit before we get into springtime proper out here
0: sure so you guys are a little bit behind but not not uh crazy level behind yeah we're catching up
1: for sure it was um a bit drier the year and two before
0: but um, on the right track i'd say this season awesome well that's good news i'm glad to hear it um Yeah. So, Hey, let's kick things off. I want to talk real quick about just kind of how we know each other. So I was actually out your way in, uh, made my way up to San Francisco and Sonoma and Napa in September of 2021 for my five-year anniversary with my wife. Uh, both of us made a little trip out there. Um, and I reached out to you. I had heard a little bit about what you were doing with Hanabi and, uh, yeah, just kind of sent you an email seeing if, uh, you let me uh, drop in. We were going to be in Napa either way, checking out some some vineyards and wineries. And and I was excited to potentially check out what you were up to with your loggers up there. And you graciously allowed us to, to stop in. We spent a couple hours at your spot, um, had some wonderful lager and uh, just kind of chatted for a bit. But um, yeah, I wanted to circle back with you. It's been a few months since we, we uh, talked last. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to get you on the show. So I'm happy you're here.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on it. it it's, um, should be a fun one.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, um, I think we should open a beer. So I like to ask the guests uh, on the show to bring with them a beer that is special to them. So it can be their own. Uh, it can be something local that they're just really into, or it can be just uh, something else that they enjoy and they think deserves a little love. So what are uh, what are you opening tonight?
1: Right on. So um, yeah, I was thinking about this and going around and around. You know, there's so many, so many delicious choices. I guess, um, but but in the end, so I settled on a on a beer that it means a lot to me. I guess on multiple levels. It's um, so the name of the brewery is San Juan Island Brewing Company, and um, it's way up in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, the style of beer is an extra special bitter. And, um, and so why this particular beer is special to me. So um, I grew up on San Juan Island. And um, family's been out there for for many generations now. And, um, and the island needed a brewery. And so um, we had an idea years ago, it was myself and a few other people that, you know, maybe someday this, uh, the island needs a brewery. And and uh, so I kind of drafted up a business plan. This is back in probably 2003 or four or five, somewhere back then. And um, introduced it to a, kind of an old timer in the community, a guy named Vern Howard. And um, old time island guy. I mean, he gave my mom her first job, you know, back in the 70s. And he's been around the island for a long time. And uh, And so this business plan ended up on his desk at some point. And, um, and we talked about it a little bit then, and, and then, uh, you know, we both kind of parted our different ways, and um, I ended up getting into wine some couple years after that. But um, then years later, it, it, it surfaced again, and um, he decided that the community really needed a brewery, and his uh, son-in-laws were, were thinking about coming back to the island after moving away and going to explore the world a little bit. And um so it was this convergence of him and the Allward brothers that I grew up with up there and uh and actually the local chemistry teacher, a guy named Jesse, um, and so he was gonna be the brewer and the brothers are gonna run it and uh and they were gonna build this thing and and uh, so they got that band together and and then I helped him out on the design side a little bit with brewing equipment and, um, you know, steam and glycol, all that kind of stuff for design. And um, and so anyhow, they, they went and did it. And 2017 is when they opened. And it's just been such a cool thing for the community up there. Um, you just see all ages, you know, kind of everybody and their brother, like a community meeting place now. And, um, but the style ESB is... I just love ESB, and uh, I have a soft spot for classic styles in general like that. You know, pale Ale, ESB, uh, mild, stout, this kind of stuff, like just really balanced, drinkable beers, and that's uh, Jesse the Brewer up there. That's his fourth day, so, so this is one of my favorite uh, beers that he brews, and um, that's why I thought that I would crack into it tonight.
0: Awesome. Yeah, sounds great. So you uh, – that that brewery, are they – do they do any distribution, or are they more kind of a small community-focused outfit?
1: Well, uh, both, I guess. They do a little bit of distribution in and around uh, mostly Seattle area, kind of from Bellingham down to Seattle and South Sound. I think a little bit might make it over to the east side, over to Spokane and, and whatnot over there. Um, but I'd say roughly maybe 50-50. Probably half goes away in distribution, and half is right there in the pub.
0: Okay, nice. Yeah, I'll have to add to my list. I've actually never been, I would say Seattle's probably the, the number one city on my list right now that um, I want to check out in the US. So we were planning a trip, my wife and I right before the pandemic. Um, and that got uh, put on the back burner, but I'll have to try to get out to, to the island there and check out the brewery when we're when we make it out that way.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be a fun visit.
0: Um, so, yeah, so I've got a beer in front of me as well. We usually if we do these things in person, we try to just kind of share the same beer and talk about it. But uh, when we do them over Zoom, as we are now, um, I usually bring something different to the table. And I, I usually try to bring I, I generally try to steer away from from having beers from the brewery that I'm talking with. But I feel like considering I just got some Hanabi lager in the mail, um, I feel like it probably lends itself well to conversation to actually have uh some of your beer um so in front of me I've, I've got your uh winter 2021 uh bohemian pilsner style lager beer um so this is what release is this release 86 is that it says number 86
1: no so um so those labels uh, you see how they they look like uh fireworks so like yeah. painted fireworks that's where the name comes from hanabi and um and so those images, actually, so I first came across those as um, a young guy. I was getting into building fireworks, and I was about 12 or 13 years old. And and they, uh, this master firework builder, he runs a little uh, firework company up in Washington, took me under his wing as an apprentice um, when I was still just a young guy. And and I remember at some point, I was working with him building um three inch cross sets and some type of firework and we were doing a few hundred tons of those and and I was looking through his library of firework books and um and there was this old Japanese firework catalog on the shelf and I remember opening it up and and flipping through and there's all these painted images of different types of fireworks and so willow and chrysanthemum and peony and these different of of effects Uh, back for photography uh, for firework catalog instead of a photograph you just paint what it would look like and then it was a catalog so they would have uh, you know this effect is number 57 58 59 and so on and and so uh, that's the inspiration for the labels and and so those numbers that are on the side there those actually are just directly from the firework catalog so that's
0: that's the number of the effect actually yeah very cool very cool and so what hanabi means what so hanabi is the japanese word for fireworks. gotcha okay perfect well i just cracked it open i'm pouring it into my kind of tall pilsner glass here and it looks beautiful nice uh kind of light straw golden color nice head on it um yeah so Let's, let's, while I'm pouring this, let's uh, jump back a little bit. I want to talk kind of how you got into beer and maybe, you know, I'll let you kind of steer the conversation um, in this regard, but maybe that, that, that uh, conversation actually begins with wine. I'm not fully sure, but um, let's talk just kind of how you got to where you are in terms of, you know, first and foremost, uh, making lager and, and perhaps uh, wine as well.
1: Yeah. So the path, um, it actually, it started with beer and then uh, went to wine, and then uh, beer has kind of been uh, reintegrated, I guess you'd say, Um, but it started, so I grew up in San Juan Island, and um, I guess on what you'd call, kind of for lack of better terminology, a a modern homestead, And, um, and so what I mean by that, you know, we grew up on 40 acres um, when I was really little, when I was a, just an infant, a baby, we lived on a sailboat for a little while. And then um, I kind of moved on to land and started to establish as uh, a family place, right? And so it was 40 acres of raw land when I was probably five years old or something like this. And and um, and we basically just built a life there, right? So we built roads, built our own house, shop um raised animals fruits vegetables just kind of all the all the things and um so I grew up very hands-on and and just building everything all the time you know parents taught me about electrical and plumbing and and uh and just generally building and growing things from basically my earliest memories you know I was just a little guy and um kind of as a part of that my uncle he was really into home brewing beer and I remember the first time he had me over to help him I was maybe I don't even know eight or ten years old you know just a little guy and, um, and he always liked doing stuff with the nephews like that so I went over at his place and he uh, was brewing beer and kind of teaching us about uh, how that all went and, and I just took an interest in it. I don't know. It just seemed like kind of magic, just the way these uh, beautiful smells would fill the house, you know, with barley and then hops. It was just I really liked the smells of the whole thing. And, and once fermentation would get going, it was, I don't know, it just seemed kind of like magic to me, I guess. And, um, and so, you know, I would ask him, hey, can I come help you some more? And, and um, so I would. And he could tell I was getting into it. And so it was uh, my 12th birthday. He gave me a copy of Charlie Papazian's The New Complete Julia Homebrewing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, class, classic book, right? Yep. And um, so I started to tuck into that thing as a 12-year-old. And, um, and shortly thereafter, got a job at a metal shop on the island there just for after school and on the weekends, doing uh, some aluminum and some stainless work. And then, so I built myself a little brewing setup out of some old kegs, you know, got from behind the local pub and took them to work and drilled some holes and welded in some fittings. I was, I think, 13 or 14 at that point and uh, started to brew beer. And that just kind of became something that I would do, you know, growing up as a kid. There's a lot of like potluck uh, type gatherings out there, you know, for. Kind of barn raisings and things like this just a lot of community get-togethers and and um everyone would bring something you know something they cook or certain, certain people if they're into music would maybe volunteer to play music for the party stuff like that and um it just kind of became my thing to bring beer um which i think some people thought was kind of funny because i was just a teenager bringing all these bottles of beer but <laughs> It was uh, just the contribution I felt like I could make, I guess. And um, so that's, that's kind of how it all started. And, um, and then wine came into it. I was maybe 16 or 17 and um, working with my old man. So the family business was excavation and building. And, and um, there's a family friend who's starting a winery out there also in the San Juan Islands. And... And, uh, there's not a lot of wine out there. Yeah. I don't know if you know the area too well, but it's, um, not highly developed as a wine area. I don't, and so, I mean,
0: the, does the climate lend itself well to, to growing grapes and whatnot?
1: Well, it's, it's a fairly cool climate. So mm-hmm. pretty much varieties that do well out there, they're all cold weather white. Um, so sure. like Aust- Austrian white varieties and German white, um, Maybe and, like
0: uh, Gewürztraminer and things like that, or yeah,
1: exactly. Other varieties like uh, Zinfandel or Madeline Angévine, another mm. couple. But they're sort of aromatic whites, you know, a uh, sort of terpinnic, like, like Riesling and Gewürz kind of floral and terpenic and really nice acidities, good and bright, fresh. Actually, they work really well with seafood up there. It's just kind of a natural, natural pairing. Yeah. But um, there was this family friend who was starting this winery and and uh, needed help with the soil work the, you know prep vineyard and plant about 10 acres out there and and so they hired my dad to do it and, um, and you know we didn't as a family business didn't know anything about grapes in particular we'd done some things for like fruit trees and, and things like that but not so much grapes specifically and uh, so they had this young French winemaker he was oh you know, I you got to think in his early 20s and they'd hired him you know he came all the way from France for the job and I think he was under the impression he was going to be the winemaker which so normally in wine it's um some extent subdivided between the winemaking and the viticulture so growing the grapes and, and making the wine mm-hmm. and in some roles they're really those those functions are almost on top of each other and combined it's one person doing both but but not always is that the case. And so anyhow, I think he thought he was getting into a winemaking job and there'd be somebody else um, managing the vineyard. And, and lo and behold, he shows up, you know, fresh off the plane and, and realizes, no, it's you, man. You're doing everything. And, you know, 10 acres for one person to not only work on establishing but then also managing. So the pruning and, and cover crop management, all that. Uh, needless to say it it was a massive job but I think an adventure of his lifetime (laughs) anyway so um, we were out there working with him to do the soil prep and um, and I could tell he needed help you know there's just like a lot of work to do and and I was really interested in basically fermenting anything I could get my hands on you know apples and different fruits cider beer and and I was pretty interested in wine too and and so I just said look you know if you ever need a handout here um, consider me just grandly interested and you don't have to pay me anything I just want to come learn from you and and so he took me up on that like next day and <laughs> away we went and uh, I would I would help them periodically whenever I could for sort of the major events to the year certainly for harvest for actually picking and and then uh, pressing the juice and, and uh, during some tank tank racking and barrel filling and bottling and things like that. And so that's where the seed was planted with wine. And, and, um, but to me, they, you know, my interest in beer and wine, they really grew up in tandem, I guess you'd say, you know, I saw it as like, um, like they were different. And from the standpoint that, you know, wine and beer are obviously different things, but, the way that I was interested to approach them was really very similar. You know, we had this natural agricultural product. It was either grains or it was grapes. And then it was just a matter of kind of managing this, um, pretty straightforward transformation, really, you know, in, into uh, something that's ready for fermentation. And then at that point it's in the hand of the yeast, right. And so just mm-hmm. a little bit of shepherding to guide the process, but, um, it's like, I don't know, I guess I saw them as just really parallel, uh, really similar things from the beginning.
0: Yeah. And so the the winemaking essentially brings you to, to Napa at one point or another, right?
1: Yeah. So um, I went off to college, then went to Western Washington University up there in Bellingham in Washington. And uh, right off the bat, got a job at Boundary Bay Brewery up there. It's just hot to be in the cellar and and so started out as a keg washer there, and then started doing other cellar work and and helping upstairs in brew deck, and, um, and I loved it, you know. I mean, brewing like that. So at the time, they were, um, I mean, if not the biggest, certainly one of the biggest brew pubs in the states. So as a as a brew pub proper, we were doing six thousand barrels, sixty five hundred barrels, something like that.
0: Wow, that's a lot for a brew pub. Exactly.
1: <laughs> It was hustling, man. It was yeah. seven days a week and day shift, you know, night shift. It was just we were cranking.
0: Were you and, bottling too, or was that all via the pub?
1: No, so it was. We did have some egg distribution, but mm-hmm. you know, as as the pub, the vast majority of it was actually there on site. Wow, which was yeah. it was crazy. There was a big outdoor beer garden in the summertime with you know live music and just tons of people dancing and having a good time and it um it it held a lot of people in that place actually it was was hundreds and hundreds of people you know on a busy night like at any given moment so uh yeah lots lots of barrels moved through
0: zach talks beer is supported by cellar west artisan ales cellar west is an award-winning small brewery in lafayette colorado just outside of boulder and a short drive to nearby denver Named one of Beer Advocate's best new breweries in 2018, Cellar West crafts a variety of small batch beers ranging from barrel-aged farmhouse ales to rustic European lagers. Planning a trip to Colorado? Be sure to add Cellar West Artisan Ales to your list of brewery visits. And now, back to the show. Yeah. So then, uh, so Boundary Bay, um, then how do you end up in Napa via Boundary Bay?
1: Yeah. So Boundary Bay. So um, there was a transition. So I worked there for a few years and then, um, and then I was graduating from college and, and uh, you know, sort of fork in the road in life or whatever. And, and from my perspective, then you know, I just really wanted to get closer to the agriculture again. Growing up out on the island, you know, we grew, like I say, grew a lot of fruits and vegetables just for the family and animals and stuff like this. And, and um, at least the way I was brewing at the time, so at Boundary, um, you know, we were never in the barley field, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we didn't really have the opportunity to have much involvement with uh, the raw ingredients in in terms of where they're coming from or what varieties really or you know how any of the farming was conducted none of that was was a part of our role there as brewers and and, um, but having worked with that winemaker fellow um, I could see that in in wine it pretty typically was so it was extremely common i guess you'd say that um winemaker would at least if they didn't manage the vineyard certainly had a lot of uh a lot of a a lot of voice in the discussion about what was happening in the vineyard sure and um, and so that just seemed like an interesting um an interesting way to kind of vertically integrate right it's you know as i guess having curiosity in the in the transformation from the, from grain or grapes from there forward, I was also interested in, well, how do we get to this point? And I wanted to be involved in in at least some capacity in, in that agriculture. So wine to me seemed like it's a way to um, be able to see it through, you know, all the way from soil, to glass, and uh, have at least some involvement in all those little decisions that happen along the way, and um, and so that, you know, that was in and of itself interesting. And then it also got me outside in terms of the daily work, you know, it was a part of the job to, okay, go out to the field for numerous hours a day and, and, uh, you know, work out there and, and, um, I just like to be outside at least sometimes. Right. And, yeah. Uh, and so it seemed like a nice way to balance this, like a seasonal lifestyle, which is kind of like how I grew up, you know, we, our work was driven a lot by the seasons. we worked outdoors you know a lot and um and so you're really paying attention to what's going on outside because you're out working in it and um and wine seemed like just a nice way to to live like that where you're le- you're living seasonally um your work is really driven by uh you know by the season and what needs to be done harvest time is just this like epic crazy uh you know time of the year which is so much fun and so much work at the same time i feel like when you finally get to december and it's time to rest it's like you're just so grateful for that time you know right you have been working your ass off so much for the last few months right and, um, i, I kind of like the ebb and flow of it like that and i can see that in wine that's still how it is today in kind of a like a modern world let's say um the the craft of winemaking is sort kind of old school in a way you know you're still you are working by the seasons you're working outside in the field a lot working in the cellar the rest of the time and um it just seemed like a nice mix of of both worlds getting to work outside work with agriculture but then also work in the cellar because I, I do love cellar work a lot and, yeah you know, definitely bringing everything together So. So from being in Washington up in the western part, not really like poor wine country, um, I decided, you know, all right, if I'm going to go somewhere and and try to learn a bit more about this, you know, where's the place to go? And at least from my perspective then, it seemed like, well, Northern California and Napa and Sonoma in particular, I mean, that's got to be the epicenter of, of new world winemaking anyway, or at least North American winemaking. So basically packed everything I owned in the pickup truck and took a road trip down the coast and visited, uh, I don't know, probably 20 brewers along the way and a lot of wineries in Oregon wine country and just kind of out for a big adventure and uh, landed in Napa and and found a job up on uh, a place called Howell Mountain with a, a, a winery called O'Shaughnessy. And they do uh, these mountain reds up there. So Cabernet uh, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, some other old school Bordeaux varieties and a really cool spot way up on the mountain. And uh, that kind of, that I'd say set the wheels in motion for me after doing uh, an extended harvest stuff with them. That was five or six months up at O'Shaughnessy and and then decided yeah I think this is it and so went to New Zealand and worked in wine there and then came back and eventually studied wine went graduate school and have been more or less up in Northern California since then.
0: Nice yeah that's awesome so you uh currently you know obviously your your baby is is Hanabi but you're with um uh are you you're you're still with Screaming Eagle correct?
1: Yeah, I am. Uh, And so
0: that's the wine outfit that you're, you're currently, you know, working for with or.
1: Yeah, exactly. I've been with Screaming Eagle now since uh, 2010 and um,
0: manage the winemaking
1: and the the vineyard there.
0: Sure. And so then you started, how long have you been doing Hanabi two, three years?
1: Yeah. So Hanabi, um, so Hanabi started, I guess, officially in early 2020 a brilliant time to start a brewery right, <laughs> it was, <laughs> right, uh, right. yeah it was a grand adventure that uh, we're still in the middle of it, of course all of us but yep. um, but it started a long time before that in a way at least uh you know what what really led up to it so you know everywhere that uh, my wife and I ever traveled for wine she's also a winemaker by the way and um wherever we went for wine we're always brewing beer and. Um, you know, we met back when we were 18 years old so i guess 20 years ago now and um you know our first dates were brewing beer together and, <laughs> um, and so that's just something that you know we've we've done all along the way for our winemaking community so wherever we land um one of the first things to do is to pull out that trusty brew kit and start to brew beer just to, for the community and um so once we were in Napa of course, we started to do that, and, um, and then it just kind of developed into this thing where we would have these brew parties. So this started in Napa in about 2008 or nine, and, um, and we would have these periodic get-togethers where it'd be a, a pack of winemakers, and then we'd be brewing beer together, and it was just a neat way for um, people that are normally so focused on uh, fruit basically be thinking about the same things the same concepts but with grains and um, it's just a lot of crossover in terms of you know oh well it, how interesting is it that it works like this with grains maybe we can learn something about how to apply that knowledge to, to working with grapes and then vice versa we'd be brewing beer and then you'd have these perspectives from winemakers that don't normally work with grain and say well what if we did it like this and it's sort of like you know, it just challenges the um, you know, like status quo, I guess, thinking like, well, gosh, I wonder, yeah, what would that do if we did it like that? And um, and I suppose uh, because of that background as, as a bunch of winemakers, it was just very natural that we'd be talking about a lot about the ingredients and specifically um, the grain, just the the types of beers we've always brewed here are more grain-centric, I suppose you'd say, than, than hop-centric, just being like lagers and kind of lighter, more lightly flavored styles. And um, and so the conversation often went, well, where's this grain from? You know, what variety? is it? These are the kinds of questions people would be asking. And, and in the beginning, you know, before craft malting was really even a thing you know at all honestly think 10 years back Mm -hmm. and um you know small-scale family grain farms that were supplying brewing grains were kind of like a twinkle in anybody's eye you know at that point like there really wasn't much and and um but it was just beginning right it was just the very beginning of becoming a remote possibility to work with a grain where maybe you actually could know what farm it came from and maybe you could actually know who grew this particular batch and and they weren't just these like really large scale multi-farm you know multi-variety blend and um and so that kind of kicks into this path of like uh you know going deeper with grain and um and so these uh, brewing parties just got more and more frequent and kind of more and more uh, developed and and uh, being interested in metal work so along the way I was making wine um, uh, for Screaming Eagle here but then also doing some some brewery design work because I've been interested in metal and engineering and, and piping design and all that type of stuff for a long time and I got involved with Davy Northwest, you know, up in Portland as a brew house manufacturer back in about 2010 in kind of a consulting capacity, and we would work together on some fun projects, different like decoction uh, systems and yeast oxidation and just uh, kind of more interesting design projects. And then um, and so I started to build a uh, more proper pilot system, and so in about 2011 or 12, we had at that point is a uh, little five vessel decoction, barrel and a half system, flow meters all over it, all this stuff so that we could really kind of dial in the process at a small scale like that. And um, take a deeper look at some of these grains. And and so we had that up and running and, you know, none of that was commercial. It was just to kind of R and D to um, inform some of the things that we were doing with AV. And um and then just for our own local beer interest for the winemakers here. And um so we were caught on the hunt for interesting grains. I remember um we met with uh, Ian from BSG back in I think it was 2013 or 14, and and um and he was telling us about this cool project they had going over in the UK, he said, you know, we're bringing back this old variety called Chevalier, and uh and of course, we were all over it, you know, oh, man, you got to get us some bags of that. And so the very first pallet that came over it was 2014, I think it was, we had a, 100 pounds or 150 pounds or something off of that particular batch to get to work with. And and um, so we've just always, you know, over the last however many years, it's just been um, trying to chase down interesting grain. It's been a really, really cool path as it's, it's uh, been developing, right? It's it um, still feels so new. It is still so new. I think the possibility to to work with some smaller growers and interesting varieties, some of these older heirlooms. And um, it just, it feels like a really cool time to be brewing the possibility of these things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, certainly the, uh, the interest in, in, you know, heirloom malts and, and, you know, small uh, maltsters and, whatnot continues to to grow at, at least it appears you know i mean we use uh at my brewery in colorado we use a lot of local stuff from troubadour and uh root shoot and and guys like that you know i'm, I'm curious so from a a process driven standpoint i can i i it makes sense to me to use lager as the medium to 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 show off these grains and and to play with them so to speak um you know, with your background in winemaking, because lager is so, you know, process driven, and, and um, you need to be so dialed in to, to make a great beer doing it. What, what was the appeal to, to, to lager, right? I mean, you could have if, if malt is your thing, and these unique malts, you obviously could have done a brewery that focuses on more, you know, darker malt style beer. So like porter stout, things like that. What what was the initial appeal to, to lager?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, so um, I guess first it's um, so something, something about our approach to all this. So um, I guess to us, it's always been really important to, um, to acknowledge like natural agricultural origins of beer, because to, to me, to us, you know, beer is this incredible natural agricultural beverage, just like wine is. And so, you know, because of that, so recognizing that agricultural origin, and I think, you know, here's a way we like to explain it, just like on the consumer side, uh, because I think, at least to some degree, at least on on the consumer side of things, beer is not entirely understood in terms of. How it comes to be like the process how how does this beer get here you know where how do we end up from soil on one hand to beer in the glass sure i think some understanding of that process is important um so you know when i'm explaining to like a group say you know you know brewing is not so different from winemaking from the standpoint of wine people think of that they understand it it's just a very like natural process you take fruit you crush it, a fermentation starts, and you shepherd that along, and um, and uh, when when it tastes right, then uh, maybe you strain off like the solids, you know, strain off the skins, and then uh, basically it's it's maturation after that. You're uh, you know aging the wine, lagering the wine <laughs> if you want to say, um, and, and until things settle out and become really nice, um, and so that process is pretty basic, and with beer you know, it's, it's really not like it's, it's complicated, but it's really not at a basic level. I feel like, you know, with beer, we're brewing a barley tea, so we take raw barley, we sprout it, everyone knows what sprouted grains is all about, you get them wet and germinate, right, it starts to make them a little more open, more digestible, and, and then you make a tea from those sprouted grains, that's, that's all there is to it, and, um, you spice that with some hot flowers and um, and then you cool it down and, and then you ferment it you allow yeasts to do their work and their magic and, and transform it into beer and and um, and so I think think about it in that way it, it just makes it easier for like the average consumer to understand that beer is not manufactured product beer is a really natural agricultural product just like wine sure and and so i think with that with that foundation um then you think about okay well it must depend a lot on the ingredients surely you know like with wine we know that grapes matter uh hugely to to the outcome there and um and so then it gets you thinking about well okay what goes into making this beer and and uh, at least for us, we consider the soul of beer to be the grain. And, um, and we like to use the word grains as opposed to malt. And you'll see, you know, if, if uh, you know, you see uh, some of the way we write and whatever about beer, um, we often refer to, to what we're using to brew the beer as, as grain rather than malt. And I think that's important because the average person average consumer they know what grain is and they know that it's an agricultural um, thing they know some people might know that it's um, like one of the most ancient staple crops human civilization uh, has ever grown as it basically helped found the whole concept of agriculture you know grains did and so how amazing is that right that we're brewing this tea from these, these ancient grains and and brewing really noble beverage from it, beer, you know, how cool is that? And all of a sudden it starts to elevate kind of the way you think about it. It's not a manufactured product, it's, it's a natural agricultural beverage, which it is. And so that's why we talk about grain as opposed to malt, because, you know, malt, um, feel like as as brewers right we know what this what this means as as people who work in in beer but to the average person i don't think a lot of people do you know to be honest and just Mm -hmm. as a case as a case in point it's just a kind of a confusing word for for the consumer so um i was dropping off a delivery of beer uh, a few weeks ago to a, a customer who's uh, viticulturists so they um they grow grapes that's their career their profession they also have giant garden at the house grow a lot of different vegetables and other fruits like you know green total green thumb person and um and dropped off the beer and and they uh, said well what's so special about batch? and i said oh well it uses um such and such uh, malt from this farm up north and they're like malt is that like the candy, like the ovaltine? You know, you mix up <laughs> milk and it's <laughs> right. And like then malt, it
0: hit me. malted milk and
1: yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. And so then it hit me. It's like, boy, you know, if if here's somebody who works with plants, you know, professionally all day long, if they don't immediately know what malt is. How are we ever going to expect consumers to know what that is?
0: Mm. Yeah, and, fair point,
1: you know. So, and and so, to me, I think that's important because to recognize that beer is supernatural, agricultural, um, just it, it gets you thinking about it now in a little different way, you know. So, um, and so specifically, I think you know once once we start to think about it um, in that way, then there's all these uh, implicated ideas that become. I guess uh, more feasible or more natural, and and I think like one of the most important ones to us is you know for for the consumer to understand the value add of getting to use grains from these small family farms, right? And, yeah. and interesting heirloom varieties, you know, all of a sudden that becomes something that maybe they're interested in if they realize that beer is just this. this this beautiful fermented pea that comes from these ancient grains. Then um, all of a sudden they become interested in well, where did it come from and who grew it and how did they grow it and all these things that, you know, we find um, really interesting. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's grain versus malt for us. And so along those lines, we felt like, um, back to your question, sorry, I get sidetracked sometimes.
0: No, it's all right. But, yeah. But,
1: but back to your question about you know why loggers as opposed to like porters or stouts or something like that and um you know we feel like so during the sprouting during the malting process the sprouting process um there's uh the human hand there right there's these decisions about how do we handle the sprouting grain and um And if you're handling that grain, let's say heavily. So if you're, when you're drying it back out, uh, you know, after you sprout it, if you're using high heat and, um, and or high humidity in the case of like a kind of crystal malt and things like that, um, in my opinion, you're kind of covering up the nature of the grain itself. So, you know, in other words, if you, if you Mm, take a, if you take a roasted barley, made from uh, chevalier versus maris otter versus golden promise or, or bear or any variety i don't think most people are going to be able to taste the differences because i think that the process itself is kind of like overwhelmed maybe the uh,
0: right right you, you peel away the uh, you almost you you cr- you create a product you know let's say you're gonna you're gonna you know, turn Maris Otter into a, a caramel malt um, versus a, a different type of, you know, two row, you know, spring bridal barley. If yeah. you're caramelizing them, you're almost trying, you're almost bringing them closer together in terms of complexity and depth and, and whatnot, right? Versus just showing them in a more pure form is kind of what you're getting at.
1: Exactly. I feel like yeah, the flavor effect of the process itself starts to trump flavor that grain itself can bring to the table because you know the flavors of grains they are subtle right and you right. can you can overwhelm them for sure with process and like the analogy i like to use in the wine world so talking with wine enthusiasts let's say um so with grapes if you make a decision like i'm going to use a bunch of heavy toast oak you know for aging this wine then that point you start to erase some of the differences that come from the vineyard so you know if you take two different vineyards put them both in 150 percent you know brand new heavy toast uh, darnajou barrels then um, you know probably you won't tell as, as big of a difference between those two vineyards whereas on the other hand if um, you use oak in a more judicious way, so a little bit less uh, quantity of new oak, and maybe toast it a little more lightly. Then all of a sudden, you get to see the differences between the grapes themselves, between the vineyards, or between the varietals, or, or what have you. And, um, and so I feel like with beer, it's the same way where you're trying to show off flavors of grains themselves, and you want to recognize, well, what is delicious about Maris Otter, what is delicious about Chevalier, then I feel like loggers for us it's been a great format to, to showcase that because on the sprouting side, on the malting side, it's very gentle, right? So it's uh, low temperatures and um, just a very gentle touch. You're not really uh, imparting a whole lot of flavor through the process. You're allowing the flavors in the grain themselves to, to kind of uh, stand out more than they would if you went uh, more heavy with the hand. And then in terms of the brewing techniques, sort of the same way. I feel like lager is such a you know, lighter co- lighter lager, so we do mostly Helles and pilsners, is um, just a lighter flavor profile that allows those varietal differences in the grain shine through a little more clearly i feel like you can really see uh the differences perhaps most clearly if you have a series of lagers side by side with different varieties of grain you see in a moment because they're so transparent you know because the, the flavors are so delicate you you really pick up uh, immediately on the differences in the raw material that you're working with
0: yeah yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense
1: but like you say it's it's an interesting road to go down because loggers are are uh, tricky as you know mm-hmm. so, um, definitely there's a million details like everybody says it's of course all true it's about those you know million and one little details with logger all adding up and, and working symbiotically so it's a heck of a lot of work and a lot of time and everything else but we feel like we're, sh- we're showing off the grains it's, it's a nice format
0: sure so you you guys are making these uh you know wonderful loggers that are on what a quarterly sort of quarterly release calendar is what you generally do or
1: yeah generally that's it and um you know to some extent so we thought about uh, of course how how to do all this and and um there's two things that kind of set that rhythm i guess on the one hand um we like longer maturation so we pretty much like three months standard in tank is sort of what we do and yep. uh, so that splits up a year into four seasons pretty nicely yeah. <laughs> every, every three months and so it's kind of a cycle of you know brew and brew and brew and brew and fill every tank in the brewery and then uh, three months cellar work racking blending bottle and then brew like crazy again with the next grain and that gives us three months in between to uh really kind of hone in on what that next grain is going to be and it starts of course before then we we still run that pilot system um, basically constantly just evaluating different varieties of grain from different farmers from different areas and it's um,
0: it, it's essentially a different grain between each logger it is yeah okay so, different yeah. It, so, we'll, it, are you using so like is it is it a hundred percent that grain more or less or like are you are you mixing in a little bit of, you know, let's say a Munich type here, you know, five percent or something like that or is it a hundred percent each release that grain?
1: So generally, it is a hundred percent of one grain and uh, malted to like a pilsner spec, so very light, sure. a very light fielding. Um There's a couple of exceptions to that. So if we have a grain that um, we just, we love the character, but it's just too strong on its own. And that's more driven by something like varietal than um, than processing. So we don't use any Munich malts or anything like that. It's pretty much just filter malts. There's been, I guess, one exception. We did a, a Vienna lager with Barca um, back in the beginning, but mm. I think physically from here forward, it's just, you're pretty much looking at Helles and filter and uh, so It'll be just a Pilsner malt, and um, and so my only exception to that hundred percent purity idea, is if we have a variety that just has a really strong personality, and we feel like a little bit more pleasure can be derived from that beer if we blend it with another variety that perhaps is more delicate, just to help balance the profile, not to compete with, with the main uh, star, you know, not the steel center stage from the grain we're trying to show off, but, um, but let's put it this way. We wouldn't be afraid to you know, add a bassist or add a drummer who's there kind of in the background as a rhythm section. Sure. Uh, you know, not to compete with the lead singer, the lead guitarist. That's still the lead guy, lead gal, but, um, but by and large, they're they're 100%. I'd say, you know, most of the time, that's that's kind of how we do it.
0: Very cool. So, one I'm grand, sure. One I'm sure there's people listening who are like, "Wow, all right, I'm sold. How do I get it?" So let's talk a little bit about the retail aspect of Hanabi because it's it is certainly a unique setup. Um, I don't know if things have changed, but when I visited you in Napa, there's no tasting room, correct? Um, yeah, correct. You're you're all a sort of a subscription based. Uh, is it all shipped? I mean, it sounds like you do a little bit of local delivery.
1: Yeah, so we do um, the local delivery, certainly around our area, you know, in Napa and Sonoma County. Um, we can ship beer anywhere in the state of California, so we do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we do have some retail partners kind of scattered all over the place. So some, uh, we have a really good partner in Japan, so some goes there, some goes to Europe, Denmark, a few other places um, and then around this country, it's just kind of uh, you know some some in the east, some out here in the west, um, just you know kind of small, um, kind of high quality retailers that get it because it's an unusual thing. There's not a lot of it, you know the, the price is higher than some, um, and so it's a specific thing. But um, but it's kind of the combination of some direct and some through retailers, and. Um,
0: It sounds more like it's cut from the cloth a little bit more of like a a wine sales approach versus your traditional beer distribution, right? Yeah,
1: I suppose so. I suppose so. It just, you know, it was, I mean, it didn't seem like a a different way to do it to us, really, I I guess, coming from the wine side, it just seemed natural to, you know, uh, you're producing something in uh, whatever quarterly intervals, seasonal intervals, and we send out a, a note, an email, a letter to everybody who's on the mailing list and um, to let everybody know what we've been up to, what we brewed, what special grain we found this season and uh, what we brewed with it. And then um, and then uh, we ship out from the brewery from there. So we, like I say, handle everything in California directly and then it's a the series of partners for the other areas.
0: Very cool. Do you have a spot on your website where, you know, let's say someone in a certain area of California or even outside of California can find where they could find your beer or? Yeah. So uh,
1: basically on the website, there's a tab called mailing list. And uh, we do it pretty uh, old fashioned and simple. There's an email address on there, info at an logger, and, I'll be a lager, and um, it comes directly to us. So it's either myself or my wife, Jen, answer every one of those emails personally. And um, depending on where somebody's at, we'll uh, hook them up with whoever is local to them out there because, you know, we can't ship other states at this point, hopefully those distribution laws change in uh, the near future. That might be a silver lining of the whole, you know, uh, pandemic, hopefully.
0: I was thinking about that today. I want, I'm curious to see how it all shakes out with the, the, you know, the ability to ship beer moving forward after the whole pandemic here. could be interesting.
1: Absolutely. But, um, yeah, we take a fairly personal approach to it and, um, let people know what, what might be in their area and try to help them out as best we can find it.
0: Excellent. Well, on that note, how do people follow Hanabi? How do they keep in the loop on what you guys are doing? You have, you know, social media, things like that.
1: The best way is to send us an email, get on the mailing list. So, uh, just write us a note, info at Hanabi Logger. And then, uh, we add add everybody just to a mailing list and then um we send out some pretty frequent communications just what's going on what we're up to who we're working with what kind of grains we're into lately and um that's probably the best way we do a little bit on instagram i think we'll we'll do more in the future but uh you can check us out there too at the logger um but the best way is definitely just write us a note get on that mailing list and um happy to keep everybody in the loop.
0: Excellent. Well, Nick, I appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, we wish you guys all the best over there at Hanabi Lager. I'm not sure when I'm going to be up in uh, Northern California in the the Napa area again, but uh, hopefully not too far out. We'll see. I, we had, my wife and I had a blast when we were up there and, and definitely want to make it a somewhat regular visit. So um, hopefully I can swing by and steal some more, some more lager from you in the, the next year or two here
1: absolutely yeah that was great to see you guys out here definitely open invite whenever you're out west just give us a holler all right
0: right, will do Okay. Well, hey, thanks for listening to Zach Talks Beer. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's kind of how we keep things rolling along over here. Uh, we don't necessarily have a social media presence for the show, but you can visit Zacktalksbeer.com to contact me and to check out all the new episodes. Um, I try to get one up every other week or so, uh, or as much as my life at the brewery allows for. And on that note, feel free to visit sellerwest.com or Artisanales on Instagram or Facebook to learn a little bit more about my small brewery in Colorado. I hope everyone has a great next few days and we will circle back soon enough. Cheers.